It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Whoop, whoop! Sports Talk Podcast on a Saturday, two minutes after the lunch hour. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast bringing you a lot of sports information. A lot is going on. Um, what can I say? Uh, spoiler alert. Don't expect to see these two guys doing Aflac commercials anytime soon. What am I talking about? Unless you have been living under a rock or in a cave somewhere, uh, trust me, these guys probably won't be doing Aflac commercials anymore. Nick Saban had a lot to say, and he basically called out a couple of schools. So let's just get into what Nick Saban had to say and the backlash from what he had to say. Saban said Wednesday night regarding the buying, as Saban put it, of players by the school that Deion Sanders now coaches. So if the NCAA doesn't get some protection from litigation, whether we got to get an antitrust or whatever it is, from a federal government standpoint, this is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules, just like Nate said. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, and likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. And uh, that sparked a reaction from Deion Sanders, who, uh, first of all, it was reported by Jean-Jacques Taylor of Anscape.com that it was 250000 in pending and future NIL payments for the player in question. Travis Hunter, I believe, was his name. What Deion Sanders said, and this gets to the point we were just making, Peter. Coach Saban wasn't talking to me. Coach Saban wasn't talking to Jimbo Fisher. He was talking to his boosters. He was talking to his alumni. He was talking to his givers. He was trying to get money. That's what he was doing. He was just using us to get to where he was trying to get to. Wow, that's a very interesting take. Now, this particular clip is eight minutes long, but I'm not going to play all of that. Right, you're going to have to suffer and listen to me talk about this. (laughs) So what was the what was the backlash from these comments that were made? Well, Deion Sanders responds to comments made by Nick Saban regarding Jackson State. Alabama coach Nick Saban made headlines on Wednesday night and Thursday afternoon while discussing the current landscape of name, image, and likeness in college athletics. During an event on Wednesday night, Saban took aim at Texas A&M, but also Jackson State, 
which is led by Deion Sanders. During a nine-minute filibuster on NIL, Saban claimed that Jackson State had signed former five-star Travis Hunter to a $1 million deal to entice him to play for Sanders in Mississippi. Well, just like Jimbo Fisher, Deion didn't appreciate the Alabama coach bringing up his name while trying to make a case for NIL regulations. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use NIL to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to their school, and it was in the paper. And they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. Speaking to Anscape, Sanders mentioned that Saban and himself need to have a public conversation on the topic since the Alabama coach made his comments to an audience on Wednesday night. I haven't talked to Coach Saban. I'm sure he's tried to call. We need to take we need to talk publicly, not privately. What you said was public, that doesn't require a conversation. Let's talk publicly and let everybody hear the conversation, Sanders said. You can't do that publicly and call privately. No, no, no. Or as the great Ben Mallory said, no, 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 no. Dion says, I still love him. I admire him. I respect him, he added. He's the magna cum laude of college football. And that's what is going to be because he's earned that. But he took a left when he should have stayed right. I'm sure he'll get back on course. I ain't tripping. Speaking of five-star Travis Hunter, Sanders was quick to point out that Hunter was not making anywhere near that amount and was not chasing money in the NIL process. I don't make a million, Travis. I don't make a million. Travis ain't built like that. Travis ain't chasing a dollar. Travis is chasing greatness. Travis and his family don't get down like that, Sanders said. They never came to us in search of the bag. They're not built like that. This kid wants to be great. He wants my hands on him. He wants me to mold him, Sanders noted. He wants me to be his navigational system through life. He wants to be that dude. Nick Saban tried to tried to discuss some of his comments on ESPNU Radio Thursday afternoon regarding NIL and mentioning Texas A&M along Jackson State. I wasn't saying anyone did anything illegal. That was something that was assumed. That wasn't what I meant or what I said. It's not illegal. But Deion Sanders didn't think Saban was directing his comments toward him, but more towards the people writing the checks, according to Anscape. Coach Saban wasn't talking to me. Coach Saban wasn't talking to Jimbo Fisher. He was talking to his boosters. He was talking to his alumni. He was talking to his givers. He was trying to get money, Sanders said. That was what he was doing. He was just using us to get to where he was trying to get to. We will see where it goes from here, but from the sound of Sanders on Thursday night on his social media account, I said what I said. Now, God bless, and let's dominate today. So that was what Sanders had to say. However, this is going to make things very, very interesting. Jimbo Fisher had something to say, but he wasn't nearly as nice as Dion. So, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher because of what was said back and forth, was reprimanded. Almost 24 hours of back and forth between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has released a statement publicly reprimanding both coaches for their comments. The membership of the Southeastern Conference has established expectations conduct and sportsmanship that were not met last night or nor today, says Sankey. A hallmark of the SEC is intense competition within an, an environment of collaboration. Public criticism of any kind does not resolve issues and creates a distraction from
seeking solutions for the issues facing college athletics today. There is tremendous frustration concerning the absence of consistent rules from state to state related to name, image, and likeness. We need to work together to find solutions, and that will be our focus at the upcoming SEC spring meetings. Here is the wording provided by the SEC on the public reprimands. As a result of public comments made on May 18 by Alabama head coach Nick Saban, a public reprimand is issued for comments he made in violation of SEC bylaws 10.2.3 and 10.5.2 related to ethical conduct for derogatory comments and public criticism for another for another institution's athletics program. As a result of public comments made on May 19 by Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher, a public reprimand is issued for comments he made in violation of SEC bylaw 10.5.2 related to ethical conduct for public criticism of another member's institution staff. This all started when Nick Saban called out Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M by saying that the Aggies bought every player of their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness in regards to the 2022 recruiting class. Jimbo Fisher fired back at Saban in a lengthy press conference on Thursday, calling the Alabama head coach despicable. Fisher went on to say that someone should have slapped Saban for his comments. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let me, I got to read that again. Fisher went on to say that someone should have slapped Saban. Right. For his comments about the Aggies allegedly cheating. I don't cheat and I don't lie. I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped you upside your head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him we will see where this goes from here with sec spring meetings set to take place in 12 days so i wonder if they're going to have heightened security for jimbo and nikki However, there is one guy who has Steve, who has uh, Nick Saban's back. We'll get to that a little bit later. Well, you know what? Let's talk about this. Because this issue is just going to steady steamroll and build up more steam, just like my A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Like I say, we're always building up a head of steam going down the track. Steve Spurrier says he has Nick Saban's back. I don't know why Jimbo is mad. Like most who love college football, Steve Spurrier felt compelled to weigh in on the Nick Saban-Jimbo Fisher drama. I don't know why Fisher is mad at Saban. Spurrier told Dog Nation, did Saban say something that wasn't true? As you know, Saban more or less accused Fisher of cheating. Saban, being the coach at Alabama and Fisher at Texas A&M, made things, well, awkward, especially after Fisher fired back. But Spurrier, a former coach at Florida and South Carolina, said he doesn't understand why Fisher was so upset. I don't think Saban told any lies in there, so I don't know what he was mad about, Spurrier said. Since Fisher beat him last year, I guess he can talk now. He hasn't beat much of anybody, but he beat Saban last year. But they haven't won the division or anything since he's been there. Spurrier recently sung the praises of Saban and Alabama football before any of the current drama. I'm here to say they're the best, not because they win the most. Of course, that's part of it too. But they do it the right way, Spurrier told AL.com. They play hard. They play clean. They don't try to hurt other opponents, hurt their opponents. They don't give the interception chains. They don't do all that other stuff that other teams like to do now. It seems like 
but they play the game the way it should be played. If you beat them, you have to earn it. And that's the way it should be. So that's Steve Spurrier and his candid comments. But what did all of this get Jimbo Fisher? It appears that it got him some popularity points amongst at least Aggie Nation. After four seasons as Texas A&M's football coach, Jimbo Fisher is 34-14 overall, 21-12 in the Southeastern Conference. His highest finish in the league is number two in 2020 at 8-1 in the COVID season. His other SEC finishes featured a pair of 4-4 marks in 2019 and last year for fourth and a tie for third respectively, and a tie for second in 2018 at 5-3. and three. He did finish in the top five of the Associated Press poll at number four in 2020 after a 9-1 season and arguably should have been voted into the college football playoffs, but his only other top 20 finish was number 16 in 2018. He is 1-3 against Alabama. Not very good for the highest paid college football coach in the nation when he was hired from Florida State after a 2017 season to a 10-year contract at an average of $7.5 million a year. After the 9-1 and and number 4 finish in 2020, he got a four-year extension through 2031 at an average of $9 million a year. Kevin Sumlin, whom Fisher replaced, <clears throat> After Sumlin went seven to six and four and four in 2017, was 36 and 16 and 17 to 15 after his first four seasons with a number five finish in 2012 and a number 18 in 2013. He was also one and three against Alabama at that point. Fisher appeared to be on his way in 2020 and again last year as he knocked off number one Alabama and his mentor, Coach Nick Saban. 41 to 38. He won with a backup quarterback, Zach Calzada, who replaced starter Heinz King for the season in game two because of an injury. Fisher had one of the nation's best defenses under coordinator Mike Elko, whose unit finished third in the nation in fewest points allowed at 15.9 and number 14 in total defense, 327 yards a game. But his offense sputtered in losses to Arkansas, 20 to 10. Mississippi State, 26-22, Ole Miss, 29-19, and an embarrassing one to LSU, 27-24, to close the season. LSU finished 6-7 and 3-5 and and for its worst season this century, but managed to beat Fisher with lame duck coach Ed Orgeron and a departing and a depleting roster. Arkansas and State both finished in the middle of the pack in the SEC with the Aggies at 4-4. Four and four. This is not what former Texas A&M Athletic Director Scott Woodrow, now at LSU, had his school and boosters pay for when he hired Fisher. The Aggies clearly had superior talent to LSU, State, and Arkansas, but lost. There were two top six recruiting classes and a number seven on the field in those losses. So that number one class Fisher just signed in February does not necessarily guarantee multi-million dollar success, and the Aggie Nation knows that. So Fisher has not exactly been on an extended honeymoon since that LSU loss and his average season, even though his contract was extended before last season. That is until last Thursday. Fisher basically picked up his second win over Alabama as the Aggies coach by putting Nick, Coach Nick Saban in his place like no one has ever since maybe since maybe Saban's late father when Nick was a teenager. Some people think they're God, Fisher said of Saban, who accused Fisher of buying his entire 2022 signing class via name, image, and likeness deals on Wednesday night. 
NCAA rules state that NIL deals cannot happen or be promised until after a player signs. Go dig into how God did his deal, and you may find things out about a guy who didn't, a guy you didn't want to know, Fisher said. We built him up to be the czar of football. We never bought anybody, no rules were broken, nothing was done wrong. It's despicable that a reputable head coach can come out and say this when he doesn't get his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen, and that's ridiculous when he's not on top. Fisher hadn't shown as badass an attacking offense since quarterback Jameis Winston led him to the national championship in the 2013 season at Florida State, and he wasn't done running it up. I don't cheat, and I don't lie, he said. I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped me upside the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. Wow, if only Fisher was coaching Auburn in this scenario. The Iron Bowl would get some much-needed hate polish. It would be like the 1980s again with Ray Perkins and Pat Dye. What are LSU fans to do with all this? With Saban and Fisher, they've been torn between two they hate for years. But depending on the era, they would have killed to have either as their head coach. Fisher was reprimanded Thursday, as was Saban by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who basically told each to go to their room without dinner. And Saban apologized, sort of. Saban also called Fisher on Thursday, but Fisher refused to talk to him. Maybe it will all blow over, and both West Virginians who worked well as well with one another at LSU from 2000 to 2004 will be on their best behaviors at the SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida, later this month. Fisher needs to remember that Saban did help his career significantly when he hired him from the offensive coordinator post at Cincinnati after the 1999 season. The Bearcats were not a power at the time. They went 3-8 in 1999 after 2-9 finished the year before. And Fisher had just been let go at Auburn after a 3-8 season in 1998, season that followed head coach Terry Bowden resigning under pressure at midseason. Fisher needed a job in the SEC, and Saban gave him the keys to what became one of the nation's best offense in the SEC at LSU 2001 to 2004. Fisher did accomplish two significant things with this tirade Thursday. Saban will likely never again criticize Fisher or Texas A&M in the way he unprofessionally and immaturely did on Wednesday night, even if he was accurate. And Fisher just gained some major popularity with Aggie Nation, Auburn fans, LSU fans, Tennessee fans, and other fan bases across the SEC and nation who hate Nick Saban because he beats their teams most of the time or because they just hate him. Texas A&M has a huge former student base, and incensed A&M athletic director Ross Bork said Thursday, Aggie Network is strong. I guess people don't like A&M disrupting the power base of college football. Well, you haven't come close to doing that on the field yet, but go on. We aren't done and going anywhere, he said. Everyone here at A&M has Coach Fisher's back, and not nearly as many likely did before Thursday. I've been our Board of Regents, the last day said Bork, who pushed for Sankey to reprimand Saban. The Regents, Chancellor and President all have Jimbo's back. We're going to stand up for our program. Bork said Saban's comments and Fisher's attack that followed have further galvanized A&M's fans and more importantly, A&M's donor base. So Nick looked for even more lucrative and image imaginative NIL deals for Aggie prospects in the future. The Aggie Nation is saying, don't pick on our coach. That's our job. Now, Saban has made Fisher popular amid a fan base starting to doubt him and a donor base wondering why they spent so much money on him. 
Fisher is still overpaid for what he has done on the field so far, but he is popular again in Aggieland. He may have been, he may have even gained some fans in LSU. So, wow. Look what happens when one man stands up for himself and what he gains from it. Well, I've took up darn near 25 minutes there. But I'm pretty sure the content was well worth it. So I'll tell you what I am going to do right about now here. I am going to go ahead and pause, take a break, and when I come back, I will definitely have more for you. So stay tuned to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. We're just now building up ahead of steam, rolling down the track. So stay in your seatbelts until the ride comes to an end. I'll be right back after we're my sponsor. You're on board the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. Enjoy the ride. back to my next segment of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. That's right. This is your host and your conductor, your favorite conductor, Anthony Smith. On Rather cool Saturday afternoon in the air capital city of Wichita, Kansas, where I am remotely located. I may as well put this in where I just went and got my hair cut looking like two million bucks. Coming to you live on the Dip by Dukes studio microphone had to put that plug in like anyway that first segment (laughs) pretty interesting and it's going to get a little bit more interesting before we shift topics here but uh, as if All the talk going back and forth between Nick Saban, Deion Sanders, Jimbo Fisher wasn't enough. How about Deion Sanders and JSU go after five-star Alabama target? Just before Nick Saban ignited college football into an inferno, Deion Sanders and Jackson State offered a prospect that Alabama has its sights on has in its sights. Peter Woods, a five-star defensive lineman in the 2023 class, picked up an offer from Jackson State on on Tuesday. Woods is preparing for his senior season at Alabaster Thompson High in Alabama. The offer has come rather late in the process as players as highly regarded as Woods is are often locked in the commitments at this point of the season. But Woods says, the timing isn't a problem for him. Jackson State offering towards the end of my recruitment does nothing to their chances, Woods told On3.com. They can take a seat up there right next to my other top three forts. HBCU culture is second to none, and there's something special about what Coach Prime is building there, which is why the number one player in the 22 class chose them. I've been waiting for this offer and feel like I would be 100% jailed in this program, 
Hashtag I believe. Woods has offers from pretty much all the Power Five heavyweights you would expect. Clemson, Oklahoma, Florida, and Alabama are thought to be the leaders, with Woods currently projected to be favoring Nick Saban in Alabama, according to 24-7 Sports. Here's what Gabe Brooks had to say about Woods. Explosive player that can be used in multiple defensive alignments and has some situational pass rushing ability off the edge. More than likely projects to play with his hands in the ground at the next level. Possesses an excellent motor with the combination of good physical traits. Will need a year to develop at the next level, but has the ability to develop into a high-impact starter at the collegiate level. Now, Deion Sanders and Jackson State have thrown their name into the mix. With Travis Hunter already on the squad, along with fellow blue chipper Kevin Coleman catching passes from Shadura Sanders, folks should know by now not to count out, not to count the HBCU out. So it is going to be very interesting as the recruiting wars is about to heat up even more. However, here is another report. In regards to that first segment that I had, how about Shannon Sharp calls out Saban for Jackson State hypocrisy? Shannon Sharp has never been one to hold his tongue, and he wasn't about to do it after Nick Saban accused Deion Sanders and Jackson State of buying Travis Hunter. The Savannah State alumnus took the Alabama coach to task on Thursday for insinuating that Jackson State had to pay huge sums to convince the top prospect in the class of 2022 to sign with it on Thursday's Undisputed show. Nobody had a problem, Skip, Sharp told co-star Skip Bayless. As long as they're getting guys that they didn't want, Alabama and Texas A&M and Clemson and Georgia did not have a problem. As long as they can get their hands on a Travis Hunter, they're cool. But now, all of a sudden, a Travis Hunter spurns them and goes to Jackson State. Why? Well, let me just play this real quick. Uh, uh, Alabama and Texas A&M and Clemson and Georgia did not have a problem. As long as they can get their hands on a Travis Hunter, they cool. But now all of a sudden, a Travis Hunter spurns them and goes to Jackson State. Why? Why you the skip? It's like it's like this beautiful girl, and she not wanting to be with the, the, the team captain, the football player. She want to be with the other guy. Why? Well, what, what he got that I don't got? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I just like him better than I like you. Maybe. Maybe I just wanted to go there and I didn't want to go there. Little old Jackson State. First yep. of all, Coach Saban, what all you had to do is say, look, there are some teams, and, and everybody's doing it. All the NIL, NIL did yep. was made it legal yep. for student athletes to get paid, get compensation yep. for a service. Mm-hmm. That's all he did. Because they, this has been going on for still for the longest time. They bought mom a microwave, or then they bought mom a refri- mom or grandma a refrigerator, and then the really big schools came in and built a damn house around the microwave and refrigerator. They did. Uh, they bought cars. Yep. So now all of a sudden, Coach Saban, Texas A&M, every guy they got. So you mean to tell me the man that signed more five, four and five star recruits that everybody went there because they love Alabama? These kids coming from California ain't never been to the country in their damn life. Want to go to Alabama? Well, Bryce Young came from California. Modern day. Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. Mm. Man, stop this, Coach Saban. All they did is it levels the playing field. Now, all of a sudden, you and these other Power 5 schools don't have a decided advantage. Skip, a million dollars. The kid got a million dollars. So what if he did? I don't know if Jackson State got a million dollars in their budget. <laughs> They ain't got no boosters like Texas A&M, like Alabama, that like is Georgia. A good point. I thought of that when I first read this story. I was like, where'd they come up with a million? Yeah. 
man, stop this. Coach Saban, you lose one guy or you lose a couple of guys. Texas A&M got some guys that you got that you wanted or Georgia got some guys that you wanted or some of these other teams. How many guys do you think Coach Saban has gotten that Texas A&M, that University of Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, Skip wanted? And now all of a sudden because the NIL, NIL, L mm-hmm. has le- kind of leveled the playing field. It's not totally level because them boosters at t- them Texas schools and them boosters at Ohio State and them Power Five schools, them guys that they got them billionaires that they can come in there and like, oh, I saw a Texas kid got a he got a Lamborghini deal. Let's stop this. I, I do not believe Dion would. I look, you know, that's one of my best friends. Talk to him all the time. I do not believe he would have responded. This is between Coach Saban and Texas A and M. He said, but you sent for me. He did. If you sent for me, I got to come for you. Almost as an afterthought. Yeah. It was, it was all about A&M for a while. Right. And all of a sudden, he takes a side shot at and, and Ola, I thought I was your boy. Me and you be doing these commercials together. I guess they're not going to do an Aflac commercial together next year, right? Man, come on, Coach Saban. Now, you know I, I love some Alabama. I love Coach Saban. He is your guy. So, as I... Finish this story. They already said what I said in the first segment. Won't be seeing them doing no Aflac commercials. <laughs> so anyway, Sharp likened Saban's comments to that of a football player being upset because a girl spurned him for someone else. Comments also yielded a discussion on whether Saban actually believes that the playing field has been level all along and that schools, including Alabama, haven't been paying talented student athletes for years. He says, so you mean to tell me the man that signed more four and five star recruits that everybody went there because they love Alabama? Sharp asked Bayless rhetorically. These kids coming from California ain't never been to the country in their damn life. Want to go to Alabama? Sharp is good friends with Deion Sanders, but he's also a fan of Nick Saban. Still, it was rather clear on whose side he fell on in this instance. And, you know, one thing I want to also bring up that he mentioned that I failed to mention. Bryce Young, out of California. He darn near had a million dollars before he even stepped on the practice field. So, Saban. As much as you're respected for the greatness that you have become, you have basically become the heir apparent to the Bear Bryant in Alabama, at least. But you got to stop this foolishness. As the old people say, it's like you're, it's like you're squealing like a pig under the gate because you missed out. And quite frankly, this Peter Woods kid, I hope Jackson State get him just to add more fuel to the fire. I really hope Jackson State get them. Just for that very purpose. Just to add more fuel to the fire. Anyway, I am going to move on from football talk currently. Because apparently there appears to be some hypocrisy in the NBA when it comes to issues. Hmm, I got your attention there, didn't I? Seen your eyebrow raise. So what could I possibly be talking about? Well, I tell you what. I will talk about that on the other side of this break. You are definitely riding on the A train. Hope you are enjoying the ride. But on the other side of this break, I will tell you where this hypocrisy lies at. Or there could be possible hypocrisy. It's how you want to view it. Stay tuned. It is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith.
It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right. Driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or hit me up at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship ran on this podcast. Once again, A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. You're on board the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. Enjoy the ride. Sports Talk Podcast. That's right. This is your favorite conductor and your favorite podcast show, the A Train Sports Talk Podcast, with your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith, here in the air capital city of Wichita, Kansas. Born and raised here all 54 years of my life. I know who it Go ahead and say it. I don't look 54. Well, right now, I'm sitting down at this microphone. I don't feel 54. I feel like I'm having a blast. <clears throat> now, there are some days I do feel like I'm 54. <laughs> but right now, I feel like I've discovered the kind of you while I'm doing this podcast. Broadcasting to you live from the Dip by Duke studio microphone. Yeah, I had to put that plug in. Went to Dip by Duke's. My barber, Tony Dukes Sr. You need to go by and check him out. Here in Wichita, go check out Tony Dukes. He can make you go from looking like 100000 to 2 million bucks. Had to put that in. So give it up for Tony Dukes Sr. Anyway, there appears to be some abandonment going on. When one is in need, the most seem like they're also abandoned the most. Brittany Griner has been abandoned by the NBA stars who could help her the most. The WNBA has a decal in tribute of Griner on every court and is donating to Griner's charitable foundation. question though is, where are the male athletes standing up for WNBA star Brittany Griner? The Phoenix Mercury Center has been held in Russia in a Russian prison since February for Russian officials say being caught with vape cartridges containing oil derived from cannabis at a Moscow airport. Between Russia's war on Ukraine and the near complete breakdown of diplomatic ties between the United States and Russia, Griner has become a Russian pawn. And despite the WNBA players showing solidarity with male athletes as they protested racist police violence, as the Women's League works to raise awareness for Griner's Griner's plight, their male counterparts in the male-dominated sports media have been arguably quiet. Despite WNBA players showing solidarity with male athletes as they protested racist police violence, as the, of course, we already ran across that. Griner appeared in a Russia, Russian court May 13th, but in a development that seemed as predictable as the setting sun, her pretrial detention was extended another month. The U.S. and Russia exchanged prisoners late last month. 
and experts say Russia still desires the release of notorious Russian arms dealer Victor Bout, the merchant of death, who's serving a 25-year sentence in the United States. So, why haven't the male athletes spoken up? Why are they silent? To date, the only persons of note from the NBA that has actually spoken up was Adam Silver, Chris Paul. And what I find even more ironic about this situation is one can't help but to think If Kobe Bryant was still amongst us, would he be an advocate for the release of one Brittany Griner? Why would I bring up Kobe's name? Kobe was forever a fixture at a WNBA game. Him and his daughter were very close. They were at games when nobody else in the family was at games. You would always see Kobe at a WNBA game, LA Sparks, whoever their opponent was. Even MSL got on board with We Are BG. I like the report there says it's amazing how you can go out and protest. And the ladies from the WNBA are protesting right along with you. I can't help but think if there was a Tom Brady or a Or a, who else can I think of? Maybe, say LeBron James. We'll be saturated with news on how long they've been in there. How they're being treated. And I get it. Basketball is a male-dominated sports. Most of the stuff that you hear on Sports Center, ESPNs, is going to be male-dominated sports. You got Major League Baseball going on. You got USFL going on. XFL will be starting next year. Got these male-dominated sports. There's something going on that's male-dominated. And barely a sniff on what's going on with Brittany Griner. I think that's a travesty. I think it's a... Almost lost my mind right there. I think it's a travesty, and I think it's a darn shame that this is all get on Brittany Griner is just a sniff of a report. Anyway, the report goes on and says, Russia is mercilessly allowing Griner to twist in the wind as she awaits a fate that could include a 10-year prison sentence. It is a dire situation and the WNBA is fighting to get Griner home. The league's fight follows two months of silence requested by the U.S. State Department of Griner's Department and Griner's wife, Cheryl, as the U.S. attempted to negotiate with Russia. But now that the State Department has declared that Griner has been wrongfully detained, the players are speaking out. Some of the most prominent athletes in the league, for example, Seattle Storm superstar Brianna Stewart, are appearing on news programs, tweeting and speaking to reporters after games about Griner's plight. They are doing exactly what they should be doing, raising the temperature on the State Department and demanding that it use whatever 
back channel options still remain with Russia President Vladimir Putin's regime to bring Britney home. In addition, the WNBA has a decal and tribute to Griner on every court and is donating to Griner's charitable foundation. But it looks like the men's league and most sports media outlets cannot be bothered with what ought to be the biggest story in the sports world. As for sports media outlets, it's hard not to conclude that just as they give women's sports short shrift in their programming, less coverage, less debate, fewer highlights, so too have they made Griner's story an afterthought. Do we doubt for a single solitary second that Tom Brady were in a Russian prison at such a perilous time that it wouldn't be a daily story? Can anybody argue that there wouldn't be a graphic on the screen keeping track of how many days he's been in detention and separated from his family on the other side of the world? While the inaction of mainstream sports media has been drearily predictable, the silence from the male athletes has been most disheartening. The Phoenix Suns, who've been eliminated from the NBA playoffs, were, by my count, the lone exception. Coach Monty Williams spoke out. Point guard Chris Paul showed up to a playoff game against the Dallas Mavericks, ready to discuss Griner. This isn't just an NBA or a WNBA thing, Paul said. I think everybody wants her home. She's a huge part of the community here. We all support her and just want to try to get her home as soon as possible. It was all in support of BG. We miss her. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said Tuesday he's working with the WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert to win Grinders release and that the NBA previous silence was advised by experts. But seemingly that's no longer the advice and still the NBA stars have been mostly silent. Between 2012 and 2020 when male athletes spoke out against racist police violence in unprecedented numbers, WNBA players WNBA players did more than offer support and solidarity. They were leaders. Colin Kaepernick protested racial injustice during the playing of the national anthem in August of 2016, but WNBA players that protested racial injustice earlier that summer. When the sports world was reeling from the pandemic and the police murder of George Floyd, the women of the WNBA campaigned hard for the Reverend Raphael. Warnock, who at the time was running against then WNBA franchise owner and Donald Trump supporter Kelly Loeffler to represent Georgia in the Senate. It is not an exaggeration to say those WNBA activists played a role in tipping the entire balance of power by helping Democrats win a majority in the U.S. Senate. Over the last few years, male athletes have given props to the athletes of the WNBA and reminded the public that the leadership of those women was indispensable. But true solidarity is a two-way street. Every male athlete who benefited from and praised the WNBA players' leadership and courage should be showing leadership themselves and speaking up for Griner. Their seemingly blithe disregard is the ultimate disrespect. There's still time for the men in the sports world to change the course. But if they don't use their galactic platforms to amplify Griner's case, they will be making a terrible choice. They may find themselves needing allies in the years ahead and wonder why the typically outspoken activists in the WNBA community are nowhere to be found. Wow. There is a lot of merit to that story. A lot of merit to that story. Now is the time when a LeBron James could speak out. The two faces of the NBA as far as presidents of the NBA Players Association, Chris Paul and LeBron James, Chris shouldn't be the only one speaking out. LeBron, where are you at? Are you still bothered by the fact that when y'all were in the bubble that the Milwaukee Bucks made a decision and it didn't go through you? I think 
the NBA in a situation like this need more Chris Pauls and God rest his soul they need more Kobe Bryant's because I believe if a Kobe Bryant is still alive Kobe Bryant is on top of this situation Kobe Bryant is rallying the troops we need to do what we can do to get Brittany Griner home I think that presence of the NBA is what's missing Chris Paul is just one person Commissioner Adam Silver, you were just one person, but you also have a powerful voice. Maybe you can stir the pot, so to speak, or stir stir the coals in the fire to get your superstars to do what they need to do to jump on bandwagon. Because like that story concluded, y'all need the women, but there may come a time when y'all need them, and they won't be nowhere to be found. Just some food for thought. I'm on board. Free Britney, but I'm just a podcaster. I don't know how many people hear my podcast. But I'm on it. I'm on board. Free Britney. Bring Britney home. There is one last story that I'm going to conclude with. This would probably be part of my poll question. But the Cowboys, yes, no sports talk show, no podcast would be complete without talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm reading this and I don't know if I agree with it or disagree. But Cowboys are urged to bench three-time Pro Bowl star in a controversial decision. The Dallas Cowboys are facing a decision on star playmaker Ezekiel Elliott, not just about his future in Big D, but additionally his current role on the team. Elliott's $90 million contract undoubtedly makes him untradeable. And there is a strong argument to be made that the star is not even the most productive running back on the Cowboys roster. ESPN's Bill Barnwell took a deep dive into comparing Elliott and Tony Pollard's performance in 2021 and reached the conclusion that the Cowboys should be best served using the three-time Pro Bowler as the team's RB2. Pollard has been more explosive than Elliott over the first three seasons in the league, but in 2019 and 2020, Elliott was a more reliable option, Barnwell detailed on May 20th. Elliott's success rate and FDOE marks topped those of Pollard. Pollard's yards per carry were better than his backfield mates but you could have made a case for Elliott remaining as a primary runner. There are no arguments to be made after last season. Elliott has been an underrated receiver for most of his career, but again, Pollard tops him here. Pollard was targeted on 27.6% of his routes to Elliott's 17.3. Pollard also was targeted at a higher rate in, 2016, in 2019 and 2020. In each season, Pollard also gained more yards per route run than Elliott, although the gap was more significant last season when Pollard gained 2.1 yards per route run to Elliott's 0.8 mark. Despite averaging 5.5 yards per carry compared to Elliott's 4.2 yards, the Cowboys star still received 237 yards versus the former Memphis back, 5.5 yards per rush. Elliott's protection may be underrated, but it is hard to argue this makes up for the discrepancy in production. The Cowboys insist that a player's contract does not impact their depth chart status, 
for Elliot's 12.4 million salary, we'll put that theory to the test in 2022. <clears throat> Not only does Elliot have a $90 million deal, but the running back is also one of the faces of the franchise. Pollard emerged as the more explosive back, but the Cowboys remain likely to continue to lean on Elliott as the team's RB1. Based on how they played in 2021, Pollard should be moved into the lead role, Barnwell said. Will the Cowboys actually make that change? I'm skeptical. For one, the organization is paying Elliott like he's a superstar, while Dallas would surely have cut him this offseason if that had been beneficially, if that had been financially feasible. The team is on the hook to pay him $12.4 million in 2022. It can move on from that deal and save nearly $5 million in cap space in 2023. And the decision to not restructure his contract this offseason hints at that likelihood next spring. Cowboys have a potential out in Elliott's deal. So the question is, the Cowboys could move on from both Zeke and Pollard in 2023. Of course, I don't think that would make any sense. But as the story continues, the Cowboys have a potential out in Elliott's deal after the 2022 season, allowing the team to move on from the remaining four years of this contract. Dallas will still have to take an $11.86 million deal million dead cap hit if they release Elliott per sport track. Rather than releasing Elliott next offseason, the Cowboys could approach the veteran and attempt to restructure his deal. Elliott owns the most lucrative contract of any NFL running back, and the market for rushers has drastically decreased in recent years. The Cowboys star was able to land one of the final big money deals given to a running back, and it has negatively impacted Dallas's cap situation. The challenge for the Cowboys is Pollard is a free agent next season and due for a sizable raise from the 965000 salary he will make in 2022. There is a very real scenario where the Cowboys move on from both running backs in favor of taking a rusher high in the 2023 NFL draft. The Cowboys could also look to release Elliott and resign Pollard but drafting a running back would be the most affordable move at the position moving forward. Dallas passed on using a draft pick on a running back in 2022. So now the question remains. After hearing that, should Dallas move on from Ezekiel Elliott? Has there been decline in his number over the past previous years? Yes. Has Tony Pollard emerged as a darn good back? You got that right. Does he deserve to be paid? Most likely. By Dallas, of course. Because he's in that system. That's because he's thriving in that system doesn't mean he will thrive in somebody else's system. Or as the latter part said, they can move on from both of them and draft them and running back. Which, which I don't think that makes much of a difference. I don't think that's something that should be done. I think Zeke is still your man. Zeke proved that, hey, I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to play through injuries. Put it to you this way. Him playing through injuries didn't look nothing like the train wreck that was a Baker Mayfield. And I think part of that was Baker Mayfield, and I think the other part was Cleveland. Like, yeah, you want to play? Go ahead and play because we're going to. This is our way of making you look, look bad at your own expense, which is why I come there's no one taking Baker Mayfield. There's a difference between Zeke playing hurt and Baker playing hurt. Zeke didn't look nearly as bad playing hurt as Baker Mayfield. But I think the verdict is still out. I think Zeke has a, if you could say it, a breakout year. New offensive lineman, hopefully better run blocking as well as pass blocking. And Zeke seems to be excited and looking forward to this year. And I know a lot of people saying, don't believe the hype. We've heard this hype before. Well, there's a reason they played on the field. So I'm going to wait and see what happens on the field. I'm not going to go by what's being read in tabloids and people, tweets, whatnot. I'm, yes, I'm still a Cowboys fan, and I will criticize them when they make boneheaded moves. But this is one of those wait and sees. Let's see how the line 
comes together during the offseason and how they look in that first game because, once again, we got Tampa Bay on the schedule. This time, Tampa or Tampa comes to Big D. We'll see how things play out then. Anyway, it is yours truly, the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your favorite conductor and your favorite podcast that you love to listen to. However, I'm getting ready to bring this train into the station. And I hope that you have enjoyed today's content. I've enjoyed bringing it to you. But until next time, take care of yourself and each other. It's the A-Train pulling in. Enjoy your weekend. Be blessed.